Hey everybody, it's me, Taylor Taylor, and welcome back to season two of A Higher Way with Tay. I am so excited to be recording this episode today and to have season two kicked off. I'm so pumped about it. It's got a whole new flavor. It's got a whole new vibe. I've got some amazing guests coming this season. And I really just wanted to kick off with this first episode being a solo episode so I could fill you in on what I've been going through. I will be honest with you, though, I have put off sitting down and recording this episode for quite a while. Even sitting here before I got started, I like stared at the button that says start recording and was just like, oh, my hands were sweating. And I'm like, am I really ready to do this? But you know what? We're just going to do it. I'm just going to dive right in. I think I mentioned a little bit on Instagram that you know I was going to come out with season two and I was going to tell y'all all about what I've been doing the last six, seven months since I recorded season one. And it's been a bumpy ride, guys. So I'm just going to go all in and I'm going to be super honest and real and vulnerable because that's the whole point of this podcast. I said that in season one, like we're here to talk about the real stuff, the good, the bad, the ugly, and I'm just going to do it. So thank you for holding space for me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me and the podcast. And You know, today is the Venus Cassini. I specifically chose today as the day I wanted to record this episode. Um, You know, obviously, astrologically, I'm always looking for, you know, some good astrological juju when I record or choose certain guests. But as far as today goes, the Venus Cassini, so Venus is obviously like the planet of love and it's currently retrograde. Um, So the Venus Cassini marks like the halfway point of Venus retrograde. And Cassini actually translated is in the heart of the sun. So today in this beautiful morning, Venus is aligned perfectly with the sun. And Venus is really like illuminating, you know, what we have learned about love and relationships. And Venus goes retrograde every like, you know, seven and a half, almost eight years. So the last time this happened in the sign of Leo was in 2015. So the last Venus retrograde in Leo, obviously, you know, we're talking about a seven to eight year cycle. So a lot of stuff has happened. And this gives us an opportunity to kind of like look back and reflect on love and you know, um, what we have learned or what needs to be revisited. And, you know, I think it's just perfect opportunity for the subject matter of this episode. And, you know, next week, the new moon in Leo, um, Dolly, my girl, the Charleston astrologer, when we chatted about the podcast coming out season two, she was like, you've got to either do the Aquarius full moon Or if you can't get it out by then, you got to shoot for the new moon in Leo. So I couldn't get my shit together by the Aquarius full moon, but by damned, I am going to have this out by hopefully on the day of the the Leo new moon. So astrologically speaking, I've got all the universal support for this to really just flow and be, you know, what I want it to be, which is real, but also authentic, vulnerable, um, and loving and truthful and all these things. So thank you for listening. We're really just going to kind of dive right into, as you can see, the title of today's episode, Dark Night of the Soul. I know in the spiritual community, like that's kind of a buzzword. You may have heard it before. And like, what does that necessarily mean? Like for me, I think Dark Night of the Soul is like rock bottom, right? You've reached a point where you are in the absolute darkness and the only thing there is you and God. And it's like that long, dark night where you have to rely on some kind of strength inside yourself, outside of yourself to pull yourself out of the darkness for the light to come again. And that's just why I chose that for the name of this episode. I mean, that's kind of what happened to me, guys. So earlier this year, something happened that was a catalyst for me for what has been a deeply transformative, challenging period of time in my life. And if you guys listened to my episode um, with Billy in season one, which was one of the top rated episodes of season one, by the way, um, you heard sort of the backstory of our relationship and our history. And, you know, we were married and then obviously divorced. And um, he has a beautiful story of recovery and choosing sobriety and, um it's one of my favorite episodes, honestly. And and I was really happy that we were able to record and share that. And I think we put it out in late December of last year. So um, if you remember, you know, from that episode, Billy and I again divorced, but 
really cultivated this beautiful co-parenting relationship and, you know, really deep friendship and just awesome, like supportive little family unit um, for him, me and Thomas during that period of time where, you know, he was, he was really recovering and, and getting sober and Thomas and, you know, his relationship was deepening and growing and, and ours was repairing from a lot of the damage of his addiction and our divorce and all that. So um, again, just going back to that episode as a recap, I think it really highlighted like the beauty of the progress that we had made in terms of like the work we had individually done on ourselves, but also just like we were in a really good place with how we were raising Thomas and how we were able to still support each other and be there for each other and love each other as as really close friends and again, in that episode, you know, you hear me refer to him as like my best friend and uh, oftentimes kind of like my life partner. We were, we were just going through that sort of chapter of our lives where, um, you know, it was a a really beautiful time and really supportive. And, and it was a, a great episode to share, like how we had made it to that point through some really like dark and awful periods. So anyway, earlier this year in 2023, Uh, you know, Billy came to me and asked to sit down and talk to me, which of course, like, you know, anytime that happens, I'm like, oh, Jesus. But we sat down and we had a really, really good conversation. And he, you know, had expressed to me that he was interested romantically um, in a very, very close friend of mine. And he was like, his main concern in that conversation was like, look, I want to talk to you before I do anything. And I just like, how do you feel? What do you think? Like, what, what if I pursued this? And, you know, even though in the moment I was kind of like taken by surprise, I was certainly not expecting that. um, I remember so vividly my first reaction sitting on the couch, just being like, uh, you know, understanding of why he felt the way he did about this person. Like I really instantly understood the appeal for him and their similarities and also why he would feel the way he did about her. I mean, clearly, again, this is one of my very close friends. So I obviously liked her too, and shared the same values and had a deep friendship. So in that moment, I I really was just like, Oh, I, I, I can see that I can understand why you would feel that way. And I was so appreciative of the way that he had come to me and really showed concern for like, would this be weird for you? How would you feel about it? What do you think? And I also just remember in that moment, like, feeling protective of him because neither of us had dated after our divorce. And, you know, I didn't want him to get hurt. And I also was like, you know, I care about him. And and I, I was just like, listen, I think actually my word, my exact words when we talked about it, I think I told him like, shoot your shot, <laughs> you know? Um, because I also was like, look, I, these are two people that I love very much and they both love me. And so, you know, like I really appreciated that there was concern shown for like, Hey, this might be weird for you. Or like, you know, would you, would it be uncomfortable for you? Would you be able to handle it kind of thing? So we had a really good conversation and I, I definitely said like, look, if this is something that you want to pursue, um, I, I get it. And, and I give you my blessing. Um, and then a couple of days after that, I think, uh, she and I also had a conversation where it was very, like, very apparent and very clear that both of them were, had a lot of concern about, like, would this be weird for you? How would you feel like this is kind of a strange dynamic? You know what I mean? This is like my ex-husband and one of my best friends. And, you know, they weren't looking for it. It just sort of happened. And they were like, how can we figure this out? Like where, you know, it's not weird or wouldn't hurt anybody kind of thing. So, you know, again, I, I really, in the beginning, and I don't want to use the word naive because I don't think it's that, but like, I, I really did have this overwhelming sense in the very beginning of like, I just don't see how this could be something that could be painful or uncomfortable or even awkward necessarily because of the fact that, you know, these are two people that are two of my best friends and, um, they love me and I love them and we all you know, are on a spiritual path and we're all, um, in good places in our lives. So like, you know, we'll just be open and honest if, you know, anything comes up or if it starts to feel weird, but like, we were just all on board with, okay, this is unusual. This is not like a normal 
situation, but you know, um, love is love. Right. And, and you kind of just, it happens. And like, so let's just be there for each other. Um, and that was really like how that sort of began earlier this year. And I hate to say that it was short lived for me, but it was, I, I don't know what exactly caused the initial shift, but I do remember it was not very long after they had, you know, started kind of seeing each other, um, that all of a sudden I started kind of feeling like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, how I feel. I don't know if I like this. Maybe it was because of my close relationships with them that I like had this sort of like front row seat to the, you know, beginning of their relationship unfolding. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, when you're like watching that happen, I started thinking like, oh, damn, maybe I'm not okay with this. Like, it kind of started hitting some places in me that I was like, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not sure. I, maybe I feel like this is a bit of a betrayal. Maybe I feel like, hold on, you know, and, and I, I remember specifically starting to feel like, What's going to happen to me, though? Like, I have this unusual relationship dynamic with my ex-husband where he and I are really, really close and we're co-parenting our child and we have like this little family, but then he's over here like moving on and then he's going to maybe like start his own family and then like, wait a minute, I'm obviously not in that family. So like, what happens to me? And... I really started kind of getting extremely fearful and sad about what my role would be. And would this mean that there would be like a dissolution kind of of this family that we had created? I felt a lot of loss. I felt like grief around the concept of family and my place in my own kind of unique family structure. Like what happens to it now? What happens to me? Um, and, and there was like these residual wounds, I think from my divorce that came up in watching him move on and in him moving on naturally, our relationship had to start to shift. Um, and I felt honestly just sad to be losing him in that capacity. I felt sad to be losing the friendship in the capacity that we had held it. And then I was really feeling sad at the same time about my friendship with her. Like, how do I maintain this like deep emotional bond that we had had when she's moving on with my ex-husband and I felt like I was kind of getting like scooted out. Um, so it really began this period of time of what felt for me like a lot of painful loss. I, I felt like I was giving up, you know, this family. I felt like I was giving up this friendship. And then I also felt periods of just abandonment. I felt like I was getting left behind. I felt really alone. Um, it was a lot of confusion, a lot of pain. I started losing weight and I like couldn't really sleep and I hated how I was feeling. And I was really trying hard to like reconcile what was coming up for me and have acceptance at the same time for what was happening in my life and the changes that were happening. And during this time of struggle and confusion and pain for me, his relationship was blossoming and deepening. And we were on two totally different ends of experiencing that change. So obviously it made it hard for us to be there for each other or sh show up for each other probably in the way that we wanted or needed or hoped from the other. And I felt like these were two core relationships that I had had. And now I was grappling with like what felt like betrayal, what felt like fear for how these important relationships 
could withstand this? And could I withstand this? How was I going to withstand this? Um, again, I, I think that it, it felt to me at times that it was like I was watching this beautiful love story unfold and yet it was painful for me. And so I'm like, how could this be a good thing or a positive thing if it is so hard for me and so painful for me and there's so much loss for me? You know, I, I think in the beginning, I really just believed like, oh, nothing's going to change. Like, it's going to be fun. Like, everything's going to be great because we do love each other and we all support each other. And so how could it be anything but positive? But the reality is like, you know, I wasn't really clear, I guess, on like what it would actually look like and how things would have to change and how my relationship with Billy would have to change and how my relationship with my friend would have to change. And then also I hated to admit it to myself. I hated to admit that I didn't like it. I hated to admit that I was hurt by it. I hated to admit to myself that it was causing me heartache. But that was the reality. And then I was like, God, this is awful. Like, I don't want to feel this way. I need to figure out why this is coming up and I need to get to the other side of it. And during all that tumultuous, like emotional upheaval, there really was this like deep question of my heart, which was like, what, what is family? You know, I mean, coming from a divorced family, Billy and I, you know, that clearly was not something that I wanted and it was awful to go through, but I was so grateful that we had managed to repair our relationship to the extent that we could kind of create this new version of a family for him and Thomas and I. And I think I just believed that it was going to be that way forever, that we'd always have that. I never really thought about like, well, what's that going to look like if I move on or if he moves on. I, I just was appreciative of where we were and didn't really think past that. And now it was changing. And I was like, I'm not ready. I don't like how this feels. And again, like some of the residual wounds of my divorce, like I will be completely honest. There was times when I would lay in bed at night and think, it's not fair. It's not fair that during our marriage and during his addiction and during our divorce, like our marriage was a casualty of his addiction, you know? And then to see him recover and get sober and be this like thriving, healthy, wonderful human and man and friend and father. Um, and to be a part of that and to really be like grateful to be on that journey alongside him, even though our marriage didn't last, you know, our family did, but then to see him be able to move on into a healthy relationship as a sober, you know, recovered, healthy person. And then I'm like, why didn't that happen when we were married? Or like, why didn't he get get it together and then come back? It was tough, guys. I had to sit with that and wonder about that and work on my acceptance around that for quite a while and it fucking hurt and it flared up in me like what I believe is like my true wound which is the wound of abandonment and I have heard before that everybody has either like the wound of abandonment or the wound of rejection and within us it's usually one or the two and maybe we can go our whole lives sometimes and like keep that shoved down and it gets triggered sometimes by this or that but you never really like have to face it and completely heal it but all i can say is like this experience surfaced that in me and i sort of had the choice of like am i going to Am I going to try to heal this? Am I going to try to get through this? Or am I going to sit in the victimhood and the bitterness and the, you know, it was a choice. So the truth is, I didn't want to feel the way that I did. I didn't, I wanted to get to a place where I had a higher perspective of what I was going through. And I wanted to work through whatever this pain was and whatever the root of this pain was and the lessons that were there for me in this struggle so that I could transcend it. And it felt like I was just stuck no matter 
what I did, I was just stuck in the darkness of it. And if you look at our natal charts, or if you look at astrology, or even if you look at like just the spiritual belief that we came to this earth choosing certain karmic relationships and certain situations or events, struggles in our lives, like the whole point is that there is a reason and it's for the evolution of our soul. And I knew that and I believed that. So why am I so stuck? Like, I, I just remember being like, I'm not going to let this break me and leave me bitter, leave me feeling like a victim, being negative, being sad, feeling betrayed. I'm going to let this experience change me no matter what it brings up in me or how ugly or painful or messy it is. I have to surrender to it. And you have to surrender to the acceptance of like, I'm in misery. So now what? And we evolve through pain. And it's our willingness to work through our shadows, to go face to face with our shadows is how we learn through that pain. So during this period of time, you know, I was really struggling in in my relationship with both of them. And um, I was feeling very lonely and I was feeling very um, sad and depressed and Wolf, my beloved teacher, who you met in season one, he called me and, you know, we talked about, if you remember, he shared in his episode about his plunging ceremony, which was like a rite of passage for him um, when he was growing up in the Yukon Territory with his elders on the reservation. And he called me and he said, I think it's time for you. Um, and I think now is a good time. And I think we should do a plunging ceremony for you. So he came out to Charleston and we went out to the beach together and it was this really beautiful day. And he had kind of prepared me about like what this is going to look like and how we were going to do it. And he stood on the shore and he had this, um, he had some tobacco and we made our prayers and our offerings to the spirit of the ocean. And, um, you know, he sang a song, um, and did some chants, um, to the spirit of the earth and the spirit of the ocean. And he had this whistle that was like made out of, I think it was like an eagle bone. It was really super cool. And he explained to me, like, you're going to wade out into the ocean. And when it's time, I'm going to, I'm going to blow this whistle and you're going to submerge yourself completely down into the water seven times. And each time you come up, you're going to take a breath. And when you feel you're ready, you're going to go back down again. And after the seven plunges in, wait. And then I will call you with the whistle back to shore. And he said, sometimes when we do this ceremony, like the spirit of the water, like the water will get rough. Like it that will be like the current will pick up or the wind will pick up. The waves will get bigger. Um, and he was telling me this on the car on the way out there, like, be prepared. This is something that happens. So when we got out there and, um, you know, he did some prayers for me and then sent me out as I was walking out into the water, I'll never forget it. It was like the current literally just out of nowhere started getting rough and the wind picked up and the waves were really big. And he told me like, so I'm a pretty good swimmer anyway, but he was like, look, if for any reason you get out there and you're like, oh, you know, freaking out or can't swim back, I have this spiritual cord that connects us and I can bring you back to shore if needed. So like you're safe, like if the water gets rough, just understand this is part of the ceremony, like, um, so go. So I went out into the water and I just remember like, as I was walking out the sun shining on the waves and it almost looked pixelated. And obviously I was like under no, I didn't have any substances. This was no, like, it's not like a plant medicine ceremony, but it felt really intense already. And it was almost like the way the light was hitting the water. It looked kind of trippy and my heart was beating super hard in my chest. And I went out into the water and I waited and he blew the whistle and I went down under the water. And the only way I can describe it is like, I went under and I felt the force of the ocean, the force of the spirit of the water. And I just plunged under and I like went all the way to the, the, the bottom of the floor, like the sand and like would hit the bottom each time I would go under. And 
it, it was like shaking my, like jarring my body. And it was almost like I would go under and then the water would just slam me down to the bottom. And then I would come back up and this happened seven times in a row. And he blows the whistle and I come back out of the water and I immediately sit down on the sand and he comes over and covers me with a blanket. And I sat there and I was like catching my breath and I just felt this total reset of my nervous system. And I instantly knew that the water, the spirit of the water, the ocean was balancing like this chaotic energy in my nervous system. And I remember after the fact, like writing in my journal, something happened that day in the water and looking back, you know, what I can say now in hindsight, it's like I went through a door and it was the first door of a few doors during this summer of my healing, dark night of the soul, that it was almost like an initiation of sorts into a portal. And it began with the healing of my totally dysregulated nervous system. And that's what the spirit of the ocean and the spirit of the water told me that the ocean has that ability through like the minerals and through the the cleaning, almost like a baptism. And she had to calm that chaos in my nervous system before I could be ready to do more work. It was truly one of the most powerful ceremonies I've ever had in my life. And I also remember when Wolf and I were sitting on the shore afterwards, there was a shell that he saw in front of me and he picked it up and it was like a bear claw. And he gave it to me and he said, your bear is here. You know, my, I've shared before, like I have the bear and the hummingbird or my guides and, um, and the bear was there on the shore that day um, with me in that ceremony. And it was just incredible. It was so beautiful. And pretty quickly after that, another teacher of mine, um, Carlos. Okay, so here's the funny thing. Carlos is a beloved teacher of mine. He's a very different kind of teacher. And, you know, he doesn't beat around the bush. Um, when I think about like Wolf as a teacher, for example, or Taito Juanito, each of them has a different medicine or a different energy, different teaching style, guidance. For example, like Wolf, when I work with him, he's very wise and quiet. He's not a man of a lot of words. He never raises his voice. He's very loving and gentle and wise. And Carlos is, you know, a teacher whose medicine I also need. It's just not always in a way I like it because he can be hard on me. And at that time, after I had had this plunging ceremony with Wolf, um, you know, Carlos called me and, and he was like, dude, you're a fucking mess. You know, you got to get your shit together, like pull it together. Like, what do we need to do? And he was like, get on a plane. In fact, he put me on a plane and he was like, come out here. You need to drink some medicine. Let's, let's fucking fix this shit that you're going through. So I got on a plane. I think I had like five days from when he called me and told me and before I was literally on my way. And I went to this farm out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I spent three days outside uh, drinking medicine. And while I was there, I was drinking with a, a different Taita or teacher um, than Taita Juanito, but within the same lineage. So it was Yehe, that same medicine of ayahuasca that I drink with Taita Juanito, but this was a different Taita or teacher. And in this particular Taita, I had never drank medicine with him before. Um, and he had a very sort of grandfather energy that was really beautiful. And I remember getting there and I was like skinny and stressed out and tired and not doing well. Um, and I just remember telling him like, I'm going through a really tough time and I want to be happy and I want to be free. And I'm working through a lot of like wounding and, you know, it's bringing up a lot of stuff from my childhood and my life. And also I just, I really would just do anything to heal it and work through it and just be on the other side of it. And I will drink as much medicine as I have to, you know, I'll, I'll do anything. Um, and here's the thing, my friend Faith, she always says, and it's so true, like this medicine, it's not a wishing well. Like I don't go to the medicine and expect it to cure anything. In my experience, what the medicine does is it shows you what you need to see so you can heal yourself 
And that's what I told him. I, I told the medicine, like, I'm willing. And I spent two long nights on this farm doing some serious shadow work. And it was not pleasant. But that's what I came for. Healing isn't always love and light. And when I sat down with that Taita in the beginning to kind of talk to him about like what I was there to heal and work on, he scooted close to me. Like he was literally like nose to nose with me. And we were in the Maloka, which is that like ceremonial, ceremonial hut. And it was outside. It was an outdoor Maloka on this farm. So it was super, super dark. And he puts his nose like straight to my nose and he's staring into my eyes. And like, all I can see is the whites of his eyes. And it's like, he's staring into the depths of my soul. And the first thing he asked me is, he says, sister, who had the addiction? And I told him, um, you know, it was my ex-husband, um, my ex-husband, Billy. And he said, yeah, I see it. I can see it inside you. And he asked me about my childhood and my relationship with my mom. And he's like, okay. And, you know, didn't really say a whole lot. He just, here's your cup of medicine. Go to your mat, drink it. So that first night, I mean, I don't remember how many cups I had, maybe two or three. And nothing really happened. I was like not having any visions. I wasn't getting any downloads. I was almost having no reaction at all to the medicine. So at the end of the night, I went up and talked to him and he said, okay, well, tomorrow, tomorrow night for ceremony, the last night, um, we're going to give you another kind of medicine because you need to break through something. Like there's a wall and you have a lot of resistance and we're going to give you this different kind of medicine. It's called Yopo. And I've never had that before. Um, it's a plant medicine. It also contains DMT, which is the active compound in ayahuasca. It's it's a fine powder and it's administered to you by the shaman through a pipe into your nostrils. Like they blow it in. So I was told, okay, this is what we're going to do for you tomorrow and um, get ready. <laughs> and I got nervous because I had heard before that, you know, it was a pretty, in, you know, people can have a pretty intense reaction. And I'd heard that like people will like yell and scream and thrash around, get dragged outside. But at that point I was like, you know, whatever. I didn't come here to sing Kumbaya. Like I trust the shaman. I trust, fuck it. Let's do it. Um, here to work on my healing, whatever it takes. So the second night I go up there and, you know, I've seen Taito Juanito administer tobacco in this same fashion, like through the pipe in ceremony before. Um, and he will just fucking blast you. Like I've seen people with like a cloud of smoke around them and, and, you know, they just, it'll literally like knock your ass to the ground when he does this. And that's just his energy and how much power he has. And I was kind of expecting like that was what was going to happen to me when I got up there. And then Taita, you know, blew it into my nostril and it was super gentle. It was like a whisper. It was so gentle and so soft. And I went back to my mat and I laid down and I was like, okay, like, here we go. And I, really just began feeling like this very gentle pressure on my third eye. And it was very like subtle. And then it just kind of stopped. And I was laying there thinking, I'm not having any reaction to this. Like, how is this possible? So I waited about an hour and then I went up and sat in front of him. And I just said, like, I, I'm, I don't feel anything. And he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, no. This is not the medicine. This is you. I could give you 50 cups of yay tonight and nothing would happen because you don't want to get better. You want to hold on to your suffering. And I was like, what? No, I, I came all the way here. Like I, I just let you blow fucking Yopo into my skull. How, how much more willing do I have to be? And he said, the, the medicine you need for your healing is inside you. The medicine we gave you has done its work. So the rest is up to you. You get no more medicine. Go back to your mat. Find it in yourself. And that's how you're going to heal. So I literally stood up and walked back to my mat like a shamed child, like tail between my legs, head hanging low. I laid down on my mat. 
and I just started crying and I was so frustrated with myself and I was so full of shame. And I remember laying there thinking, how am I going to go home and tell my friends that like, you know, I wasn't, I'm not even worthy of being served medicine here. Like I was shunned and it was so awful. And also it was like 11 PM and these yay ceremonies, they go until the sun comes up. So I'm like, I'm going to have to lay here completely sober. They're not giving me any more medicine. There's, you know, and, and lay here miserable and all the hope that I had for coming here and getting some healing is like gone because I fucked it up, you know, because there's something in me that, you know, has all this resistance and is getting in the way. And it was literally just like absolute rock bottom. It was the worst and lowest point I could possibly be at. So in that moment of just like complete and total despair, something happened. And I kind of like fell asleep and and I had this dream. I don't know if it was a dream or if the medicine reactivated, but it was like a dream or a vision of myself as an adult, as I am now. And I was taken back in time to like little me at six months old. And it was very clear that I was being shown like, this is my inner child. This is like little Taylor. And I was taken back to a houseboat that we used to vacation on in this very beautiful part of California called Lake Shasta. And we spent summers there growing up. And it's always been, you know, my favorite place on this earth. And it's the place where all the best memories of my childhood were made. And it's so beautiful. And I have such wonderful, happy memories of there, of myself there. And I've been going there all my life. And, and I had this vision of like, going back there and seeing myself little Taylor there. And I was shown like at some point that little girl, that inner child, I left her there. Like I literally just moved on, grew up, got older, got a career, got married, had kids. Like, and at some point I separated myself from this inner child, this little Tay. And I left her behind. And and it was saying to me, like, what kind of mother are you? Like, you would never do that to Thomas. You wouldn't just leave this, like, six-month-old, one-year-old, five-year-old little you on a boat by herself and just go, like, carry on with your life, you know? And And it was so painful to see that this, like, little girl inside of me somewhere along the lines got abandoned and got left behind. And I was shown like, you can't do that. You have to take her with you. And you have to ask her all the time, like, hey, are you okay? Hey, I'm taking you with me, like wherever I go now. And I had this reunion almost with my inner child. And during this whole experience, there was this huge storm happening. And again, we're in this outside Maloka and there's like thunder and lightning. and it was just this incredibly powerful ceremony and and vision and understanding I was having of like almost like that that wound of abandonment, you know, like those those feelings that I have of like I'm being left behind, like I'm alone, like I'm not part of this family. I've, you know, I've been cast aside. Like there's this little girl inside of me that has felt that way for a really long time. And it was heartbreaking, but also very powerful to have like what I felt was like this reunion and this reconnection with her. And as this storm happening simultaneously was starting to pass through, um, it was like raining and the thunder and lightning had stopped. And, and I'm kind of like, it's like early morning hours and I'm laying on my side on my mattress and I hear, or I feel like this blowing in my ear, almost like somebody was like standing next to me, kind of like blowing into my ear. And it happened a couple of times. And then finally, I'm just like, what, what is that? And, you know, a spirit says to me, when you feel that, and when you hear that, it's your ancestors letting you know they're with you. 
and it happens a lot and you don't pay attention, (laughs) but that's your sign that they're there and that they're with you. And as I'm laying on my side, all of a sudden I feel like this wind. And I don't know if it was real wind guys from the actual storm or if it was just, you know, in my experience, but I felt this huge gust of wind come against my back. And the medicine told me that wind is all of your ancestors behind you, all of them. And they hear your prayers every time you pray and they are behind you and they are with you always. And that wind is them blowing you, blowing you into the second half of your life. Like go, like you're supported, you're protected. They're with you. They hear your prayers. You're not alone. It was absolutely beautiful. And I just laid there and wept. I felt like the storm had come and cleared so much out of my body and my heart and my mind. And in the, I had so much clarity. And I remember getting on a plane and going home and feeling like, okay, that was huge. Like that was a huge step in working through this process and like healing a lot of this pain around these relationships. And I felt really, really good. But you know, I also that my work was not done because I knew I had on the books my trip to Rhythmia in June. And I was like, I'm just gonna go right from, you know, this straight into Rhythmia and I'm gonna keep going. I'm like on this relentless pursuit of of getting through this really dark time. And again, during that period, like it was still a struggle to figure out at times like how to do this relationship um with Billy and with my friend and during that period of time you know Billy rightfully so wanted to start having some more you know custody time with Thomas and and he deserves that and there's no reason why he shouldn't have that and i was having to learn also how to be away from Thomas and how to share him in what sometimes felt like the traditional, like divorced way. Um, And when things were not great between Billy and I um, during this period of time, it was really painful to feel like we had become this, like every other divorced couple that I see, which is like, you know, your kid gets dropped off outside the door and, you know, there's little communication and you don't like each other. Like I never in a million years imagined that for how we were going to raise Thomas. And I know that Billy didn't want that. And yet we were struggling because I was just still having a hard time accepting. Um, and I was having a hard time learning how to share not just time away from Thomas, but like letting Thomas be shared with another woman, you know? I have so much respect for people who have blended families or people who co-parent when their spouses get remarried or moved on. Oh my gosh, I see you. Like, I I know that it's tough. I feel like in my situation, it was a little bit more challenging because there was just so many times that I would feel like these are two people that are supposed to love me. And yet, why do I feel so much pain? And like, why do I feel so much loss? You know, like I feel like I've lost this really special relationship with Billy. And I feel like I've lost what I felt like the family structure we had of him and Thomas and me. And I also feel the loss, deep loss of my friendship with my friend. And yet we were all wanting to like figure out how to maintain these things in some capacity, but also accept that they were changing. And from that place or that wound of abandonment in me, at times all I could see and feel was the loss. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. So when I went to Rhythmia, I was like, look, I'm going to see Taito Juanito. That's my guy. You know, <laughs> he can he can fix and heal and about anything. Like this is, uh, he's the man. So I really was like, really looking forward to going and kind of like wrapping up my like medicine drinking experiences of this year 
there with him at Rhythmia. And obviously I was at Rhythmia for a week. Um, we have four nights of, of, uh, medicine while we're there. And probably later on this season, I will circle back and talk about a couple of the nights that I had and some experiences that I had, you know, in ceremony outside of this subject, because um, they were wild and incredible and um, deeply powerful. But just sticking to like, you know, what I was there to work on, I want to share like what really kind of was the pivotal moment for me. And that was on the final night of ceremony, which was with Taita. Um, you know, as you drink medicine four nights in a row like that, the medicine builds and kind of compounds on itself. And then you go in that last night and you drink the Yehe with Taito Juanito and it's like the doors get blown off, you know? So I remember that night I was like, I think I drank the most medicine I've ever drank. I just was like, this is the last night. I'm here to do my work. I'm going all in. And it was rough, you guys. It was really really rough. I was purging a lot and the purging was very unpleasant. Not like it's ever pleasant, but it was really awful. It was painful like physically to get out. It felt like it was really, really deep, bitter, awful. And very, very late into the night, they brought me up to Taita. They do this for everybody that's in ceremony and you have an individual, it's called healing circle and you go up and you have sort of like an individual healing or blessing. And it's one of the like really most wonderful parts of having a Yehe ceremony is having this healing circle and having the blessing from the Taita, have him work on you, chant for you. Um, so I went up and I had my healing with him and I like was so fatigued and so exhausted and so oh, drained and I went back to my mat and laid down. And, and this was immediately after he had given me my healing. And I probably wasn't on my mat, but five minutes. And I purged into the bucket. And when I purged, what came out was instantly, I was shown, told, saw the root of all my suffering. Literally, a root not quite literally. Okay. I mean, it's not like I literally threw up a root, but just bear with me. Like the, the, the energetics of it, the, you know, metaphysical meaning. And then also like when you're on the medicine, like I was able to see, it was like a root, like as if you, like if you uprooted a tree, you know, at the bottom, like that big, it's like a clump and then it has individual roots coming out of it. And I purged that and, and it was awful to get out because it was very, very deep. And it was like the roots of it were in my bones and my cells and my spirit and my heart and my emotions. It was so deeply embedded and it was very painful. And when I finally got it out, I was told and shown that is the root of all your suffering and it's out. So when ceremony ended, I like you know, barely, but was like able to get up to the front to sit with Taita Juanito. And I sat down next to him and I asked him, I said, I told him what happened. And I said, I need to know, is that like a, a culmination of, of stuff from my life? Or is that, does it go back farther than that? Like what, where did that come from? And, and how far back does it go? And he took my hand and he said, give me your hand. And he took my hand and he turned it palm up and he kind of like patted my hand a couple of times. And then he blew on my hand and then closed his eyes and, and held my hand in his hand. And he sat in silence for a minute or two. And then he opened his eyes and gave me my hand back. And he said, no, that's very, very, very old. And it's not all yours. And it goes back really, really far. And you got it completely out. And what are you going to do now? And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to be happy. And he said, yeah, go home, be happy. Like that root and that suffering is ancestral and it isn't going to continue in your bloodline anymore. Like your son will never have a root of that. You, you got it out and it's free from you. 
but you have to go home now and you have to be happy and you have to live differently now because that's not a part of your story anymore. And it's not a part of your bloodline and it's not a part of your spirit. And he said, you did good work. That wasn't easy. I saw you and you got it out. So I came home and in a beautiful, like, wonderful letter wrapping up of my summer, Thomas and I went on vacation and we went to Lake Shasta to that beautiful lake in Northern California that I mentioned earlier where I spent all those summers like happy, childlike, joyful. And also the place that I had been shown, like, that's where my inner child was sort of left. That's where that little girl in me got abandoned somehow. And we went back and and here I am taking Thomas at, you know, almost eight years old. And I'm, I'm watching him experience this lake and the, the joyful things that we do there. And, and, and I'm watching him, like even his like little blonde head. I remember when he was tubing behind the boat and I, I was like, I feel like I'm seeing myself at seven years old, you know, like it was so powerful to see, literally see this connection of like myself at his age. And then he's my son now and all the time that has passed in between, you know, and it was just very healing. And another really incredible part of that trip, you guys, was I had done all this fucking work this year, went to therapy, drank all this medicine, plunged into the ocean. You know what I mean? Like fucking battled my, for my soul in a thunderstorm in an outside Maloka on a farm, you know, uh, Yopo blown up my nose. Like I had really just relentlessly pursued the healing of my pain so fervently. And I was like, I'm going to go to Shasta and I'm going to like, have some fun. I'm going to like drink white claw and fucking eat chicken wings and like go down the water slide (laughs) and I'm going to sleep under the stars with my son. And I'm going to walk barefoot in the red clay. And I'm going to swim in the lake that holds all the memories of my early childhood, all the beautiful, happy memories of, of those years. And I'm going to show this experience to my son. And that's what we did guys. And guess what? It was just as healing as flying to Costa Rica and drinking yahe and going to ceremony. I mean, there was something so deeply healing for me that week. And I'm just so grateful to this day that I got to have that experience with Thomas. And I hope it's something that I always get to share with him because it was healing for me. And it that land there is sacred and spiritual to me. And it it reminds me like this is a place I can go back to that can give me healing. Just like the ocean, when I had my plunging ceremony with Wolf, like the ocean holds wisdom, so much wisdom. And I can go out to folly and fucking plunge myself into the water anytime I want and, and pray to the spirit of the water and ask for that healing again. And it's always available to me. So interestingly enough, like wrapping up kind of that summer of, of, of all these different healing pursuits that I did, you know, it began with wolf in the ocean and then it kind of ended with wolf in the earth. And I went to see him um, and I went to do a traditional Native American Lakota sweat lodge. And I want to share about that experience because it was so powerful in like, if you think about the elements, you know, and like the elements of the water and the healing that I had in that ceremony and the sweat lodge was entirely different. And the really cool thing about that experience was we built, like we manually built that lodge. Um, It took, we probably had seven of us, I think. And it took us like solid five hours. And we were out there on this beautiful property that he owns up in the mountains of North Carolina And I mean, we like whittled the poles and we dug the holes and we literally built this brand new lodge. And it was a ceremony in itself to be doing that, to be building this, this lodge that, that in the tradition, you know, represents like, this is the womb of the earth mother. This is the heart of Pachamama. And as we were building it, this 
storm rolled in off the mountain. And it was really crazy, you guys, because going back to, again, that storm that happened in the Maloka when I was out on the farm. And then it was like, you know, Wolf is a, he's a mountain man. Like he knows the weather patterns. He knows when storms are coming. And this, it was not on the radar. It wasn't on the weather forecast. It literally came out of nowhere. And it came right around the time we were like finishing and had the fire ready and we're getting ready to go into the lodge. And we got in just as this storm happened and it was insane, pouring rain, thunder, lightning cracking, like right around. And as we were in there and Wolf is playing the drums and he's chanting and praying and he's telling us and teaching us like about the wisdom and the spirit of the water and the rain in the spirit of the thunder and what it represents. And it was like the thunder is coming and cracking down and shaking open these parts of us that need to be rattled and opened and broken open and the lightning that cracks is like the light and the illuminating and showing us what we need to see and then this beautiful rain blessing and healing and as he's doing this this like little pocket in the sweat lodge above me starts dripping rain on me and I'm like oh and at first I was like oh I need to scoot over I don't want you know I don't want this rain on me and he's as he's praying and chanting he says if if the water is getting on you like pay attention like where's it going on your body like this is this is the spirit of the rain that we're praying to that we're asking for our healing and our purification and our cleansing you know pay attention to it's happening for a reason like where is it going on your body like be thankful for like this healing that it's giving you it was truly an incredible ceremony And it was a reminder to me that I belong to the earth mother. I am guided and carried by the spirits of the earth, the wind, the rain, the ocean. What a sacred homecoming to remember, like in the hard moments, in the clutches of fear, that is unconditional. And in this period of time for me in in grappling with like, What does unconditional love mean? What does family mean? All those wounds inside me, like there are things that are unconditional and they are the relationship we have with our creator. They are the relationship we have to the earth mother. And they are truly the relationship we have to our ancestors if we cultivate it. And we cultivate it with the wisdom of the four directions and the spirit of the water and the rain and the mountains and the trees and the forest and all of it. That is unconditional. That is unchanging. And that is where we come from. And that's where we'll return to. There's a quote that has changed my life that I have held on very tightly to during these last few months. And that is heal so you can hear without the filter of your wound. And if you think about that, like in any relationship that you have that may be challenging, any relationship, we all have that, you guys. Like we all have a filter of our wound. We all have a wound or wounds. And like the real healing happens when we can listen or hear or accept circumstances, people, decisions without the filter of that wound inside us. So I want to just say like in closing, there is a beautiful opportunity for me now to learn and live with that unconditional love and to model it for my son. And let him see and experience a family that may not look like everyone else's, but by God, look how much love he has. He has adults around him that are modeling that. And it makes me tear up because in some hard moments, like I would try to find some stuff like on Instagram or whatever, like accounts that talked about like blended families or like co-parenting support. And I was just really surprised with like how overwhelmingly negative a lot of that stuff was. It's like, you know, how to handle your narcissistic ex-partner or like what to do when your, you know, step-parent is, you know, a calculating bitch. And all this stuff that I'm reading, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't my story. This isn't our story. And that's not how we are. We're not doing it that way. And in that way, like this can be really beautiful 
it's different, you know, it's, it's different because we have people in this situation that, that are working on themselves and that are loving and that are putting love first and in putting love first, right? We can't deny like sometimes shit's painful. Sometimes shit hurts. I'm not perfectly healed. Okay. You guys, I still have my moments and I probably will forever in regards to this where, you know, it's tough sometimes. It's it's tough to let go. It's tough to see that life turned out differently, you know? But when I listen or see without the filter of my wound, there's a lot of beauty. And I'm proud of where things are, even though we're still trying to figure it out. We're doing a pretty damn good job. And it's evident, I think, in Thomas. And it's evident in how he he doesn't put his head on his pillow at night and think, my mom and dad don't get along. He doesn't think like, you know, I don't know. It's it's pretty amazing. And I'm pretty proud of that. And I'm pretty proud of the three of us and what we've all had to do to sort of get where we are and where we're going. I don't know. But I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do this really fucking brutal work, shadow work, painful, deep, ugly, messy work. Because here's the thing. When we come face to face with this stuff, you guys, like you either fucking deal with it or it's going to come with you down the road. It's going to resurface what in my next relationship? You know, I'm not doing that. I'm going to I'm going to heal it now. I'm going to do what I have to now so that I can not carry it with me. And maybe it doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it's a a continued path of like really working on being aware of like hey, I have this wound and hey, I have these triggers or sensitivities, but like that lens, that narrative of that wound, I don't have anymore. And that in itself is freedom. So here's the thing. What happens when we're authentic and vulnerable is we come into alignment. Alignment with our truth. No matter how hard or scary it is to speak, alignment with our truth always brings us into alignment with the divine order of our life. So why is it scary sometimes to say how we truly feel or be who we truly are? Maybe we've experienced as children, like where our authenticity, our pure natural expression of self was shunned or made fun of or rejected or ignored. Society isn't always kind, especially to unconformity. So, you know, somewhere along the line, we all get programmed that our unique voice and expression in this world isn't always encouraged or applauded or even seen. And I will tell you what, conformity is the fucking killer, man, of creativity. So if we if we dare to step off the path sometimes and share our gifts with the world, whether that's your art or your singing or just your voice or your story, like that's why I'm here. That's why I'm sharing mine. Because a shift happens. And sometimes people call it like a flow state, a flow state, or some people call it alignment. But what happens when we are true to who we are and what we've been through and we share that truth with the world in that state? It's my belief that the world opens doors that we just can't even imagine. And identifying abandonment as my core wound has really been the deepest darkest, hardest work of my life. And again, I'm still in it. I'm not like completely overcome. Uh, It's tethers to me yet, but I am untangling. The root is out. And now I am replacing that root with new beliefs. And one of those new beliefs is that if we bravely share of ourselves and our darkness with others, it brings lightness. We don't always have to only share, you know, love and light, especially in the spiritual community, you know, Instagram, perfect lives. Like, I don't think that's what I'm here for. I think what I'm here for is to share my truth. And sometimes it's ugly and messy. And sometimes it might piss people off. And sometimes it sucks for me. Even I had to sit in it 
in that uncomfortable mess of it for far too long. But you know what? At the end of a dark night of the soul, the light comes again in the morning. And I'm emerging from a place where I have a new open heart for what the next half of my life looks like. For like, you know, thinking of that ceremony with the wind on my back. I believe that. I believe that that's real and I'm going to do it unafraid and I'm going to do it outspoken. And I have like all these ideas now of things I feel like I should do and and they don't make money or sense, <laughs> but I have to do them because my soul's telling me. And like one of them is like, I've wanted for years to get, you know, certified um, for yoga teacher training because I love yoga so much. And I've been a devoted yogi for so many years. And I've always said like, it's a natural evolution of just the path of my practice. But, but lately I cannot ignore this, like this intuitive call, like I've got to do it. And I honestly don't even know how that's going to happen, guys. Like I have a full-time job. I'm a single mom, like, but it doesn't matter because I trust my intuition and I trust the call of my heart. And I also trust when we put something out to the universe and we really come from a place that's like clear about what, when we're in alignment, it will unfold. And so I'm excited, like as this season two progresses to share some more stuff with you about like what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and where I'm going and who knows what life holds, right? And I just started dating. Oh, I got to tell you, I, side note, I started online dating, guys. We'll fucking have to talk about that another day. That's a whole podcast episode on its own. But I accidentally like joined this one particular dating app on the first day of Venus retrograde. And Dolly, the Charleston astrologer was like, oh my God, Taylor, what were you like? That's like the worst possible timing. But you know what? Fuck it. Whatever. Like I'm doing it and I'm putting myself out there and I am grateful for every moment of challenge that I have had this year, because even though it was brutal, it served a purpose. And in pain and in challenge and in despair, if we do not accept that this is where we're going to fucking die, if we just hold on and keep going and keep fighting and keep saying there is a reason, we come out the other side. And I'm excited to be on the other side and to be able to share from this new perspective that I have and from this really amazing place in my life that I wouldn't be at if I hadn't experienced a lot of the really awful things that I felt and went through earlier this year. So in closing, I want to wrap this up by just saying, I hope the overall message of this episode to you guys is just the real reality and truth of my dark night of the soul, but also that there is so much love and so much gratitude and so much hope that I have. And I am a work in progress and I will always be, but I am committed to being a work in progress that hears and listens and sees without that filter of my wounds. I can't wait to share more with you guys this season. I love you all so much. I've missed you. Thank you for hearing me and seeing me. And I will catch you on the next one. Love y'all.